Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 82 to Berlin Brandenburg? No. No, <laughs> oh, man. You've gone into the future. <laughs> well, the science fiction future, because I don't know what's going to happen. Now, we're going to Tegel, guys. We had covered, thanks to Alex Schoenfeld, which is the other airport at Berlin. I went to Berlin like a week ago. Time flies because we haven't talked to each other like in three weeks now because it was the last recording and it seems that we've been all over the place. I mean, I've been to Europe, as I told you guys. Alex has been in many continents. Where have you been since? I've been to the US and I've been to Asia. It was Vegas and Vegas and Hong Kong and Ishigaki and southern Japan. And you've experienced a typhoon or not? Um, yeah, we were very fortunate not to have been directly affected by it, but it was lingering in the South China Sea waiting for us menacingly. And we, <laughs> we felt its, uh, its remnants in Ishigaki. <laughs> and, and so we, we promised you guys that we would record something because we're traveling all the time before our next travels. And Alex is literally leaving right after the end of his recording and I'm leaving tomorrow. I really hope I can actually find the time to uh, edit this edit, one. Yeah, together. that's the hard part. <laughs> we'll give the rundown of where we're flying to at the very end of the episode. So you guys will have to wait until then or to fast forward, but don't do that. Yeah, don't we do also, that. <laughs> We also want to acknowledge and welcome all our new listeners from Spotify. Spotify is proving quite popular, actually. It's really hard to know if those are people that just transferred over from Apple Podcasts and Overcast and other tools or new people. If you're new people, hello. I hope you are liking our show. Uh, <laughs> the... I'm going to say a few things for those, if there are any new listeners. First, you cannot leave a review on Spotify, but if you like the show, please do that on Apple Podcasts. If you are using that platform, you can also use, I think, Google Podcasts. Though I have no way to actually check if there are any reviews there because I don't have an Android phone. I should, I know. Is that the only way you can do it? Wow. Yeah, I think so. There's no tools per se to do that. And then also you can send us messages on Twitter at lay underscore overs. Same on Instagram. I've been very bad at not keeping up with Instagram lately, but I gave some shout outs to Alex, my dear Alex, when he was traveling. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can also tag yourself on Instagram if you want to do so. So tagging a picture Picture in picture, so the picture of you listening to layovers, uh, so that we've gotten quite a few. Yeah, I was uh, going to say we we've had some really interesting ones. Yeah, and now my plan is to feature them actually on our Instagram account again because we're traveling so much. I'm very late at doing all this, so please bear with us. <laughs> the good thing though is that people tend to be listening to the entire catalog, so until they catch up to this, we have some time, so they're not going to be mad at us not mentioning them. Which, by the way, this show is done without. Any any show notes because I literally came back last night from Lisbon and we are Monday, November 5th, meaning I might not give any shout outs. We might not give any shout outs in this episode because honestly, I didn't have time to gather the notes together. So please don't be mad at us. And 
that topic as well. It's a kind of a rule that I don't think we've ever said. We start to receive messages from people giving us not only tips, but also inside all type of, mm. of information. Please state if we can share it. And yeah. please also state, and that's for all the type of information you want to give us, if you're okay that we give your name on the show. Because by default, we will give the name because we like to acknowledge people that you know talk to us. Yeah. But if you'd like to remain anonymous, just tell us. We don't want you to run into trouble because yeah. you were not. We don't want to be responsible us. for you losing your job. <laughs> exactly. So please, please tell us. So there you go. And you can also obviously talk to us on Facebook if you want. Just search for layovers. Layovers.podcast is the URL on uh, Facebook. And final one is on uh, Gmail, the email layovers2 at gmail.com. I'm going to one day find a new name for all these accounts because they're all different and it's not very easy. Anyway, to the to the episode. So Tegel, uh, Tegel is like a box of Lego. We started the last episode with you building aircraft. Uh, have you ever been to Tegel yourself? No, I haven't. Why? My God, they really need a new airport. It's really like, it's like your kid, you give them lots of Lego pieces and they throw them together and they build something. That's how Tegel looks like. Mm-hmm. It's just quite crazy. I mean, it's endearing in some parts, I will admit that but it's really not an airport for a capital i mean there's historical reasons we'll get to that at the very end since we are on airports let's acknowledge two things about mega airports we always talk about mega airports first mexico airport the new one by norman Foster uh, was yeah. cancelled isn't that incredible uh, yeah, you know, so Mexico is a country of 130 million or 32 million people. There was a referendum because the new president came into power and said, this is too expensive. I'm going to ask the public, the citizens to decide whether or not we should pursue it. Bear in mind that the current Mexico airport is completely bursting out the seams, completely over capacity. The new airport, which would have been magnificent, you can still look at the pictures online, guys, was costing billions and billions. They already had started almost like three years ago. They already spent, I think, at least a billion dollars in that airport, and it was canceled out of the vote. The reason I said 130 million is that less than a million people actually voted. So that's less than a percent of the entire population. Out of which I think a little bit more than two thirds said we want to cancel it and want to keep the current one running. There was no um, threshold to hit, so even though like almost nobody voted, well, the airport is cancelled. It's a bit it's sad. Uh, it's so self defeating, isn't it? And I think they'll say they don't want it until they're going through the existing Mexico City airport and see, as you say, how crowded it is, how outdated it is, how how piecemeal it is. And the voter turnout should have avoided the, the the result of the of the referendum anyway, because it was so low and 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 by definition not representative of everybody's opinions. And also, I think there are a few things where these decisions perhaps aren't best if they're put to the public, uh, you know, in this format at least. You know, you've yeah. got to take their opinions and thoughts into consideration, especially when this amount of money is being spent. But it being a deciding factor or the deciding factor just seems completely self-defeating. We understand that, you know, it's a lot of money, that mm. Mexico's economy might not be in the best shape. But it's true that the fact that they've started it, that they already spent so much money, and now there's like a big thing that's laying there forever that will be basically abandoned. So a bit like Berlin, you know. Yeah. So Berlin, for those who don't have context, uh, was supposed to open, what, six years ago, 2012? And it uh, still sits next to Schoenfeld, actually, where you've been. And yeah, you can see it across the field. It's never going to open because it's not on spec. The 
cabling is not health and safety proof. The infrastructure that had been put in the past is starting to crumble down. So like everything electronic obviously has never been used. So this is exactly what's going to happen with Mexico, even if they were to restart at some point, because they realized that the current airport is not fit for purpose. Well, they will have to basically start over. And that's a bit of a, yeah. Has anybody lost their jobs over this? I don't know. Uh, Probably the the ex-president, obviously. Well, yeah. Anyway, we're not Mexicans. We do not live there. We don't have the economical context, but as a outside-in point of view, it's a bit sad, especially because the airport was looking really, really, really good, really fantastic. If you're in Mexico, I'd I'd love to hear your opinions on this. Agreed. And the other one that just opened on time, although there's a caveat there, is Istanbul. So we were wrong because the actual name of the airport will be simply called Istanbul Airport. There's no fancy names attached to it, nor Erdogan Airport as we had equipped. (laughs) (laughs) And it opened on time the 31st of October. The caveat is that it opened open, but it's really like a very, very soft opening, as in uh, there are no flights, there's no been that big transfer that was supposed to happen from Istanbul, uh, from Istanbul, for Turkish Airlines that was supposed to transfer its entire operations in less than 40 hours between the two airports. This is going to happen in December, I think by the end of December, are they going to do that over the Christmas period, I'm not sure. Uh, I think they wanted to open it first to simply say that, hey, well, we've been on time. And it actually is like almost yeah. ready, guys. I'm we, not, we were very not. skeptical that they were going to do this, but they did it. It's there. And it's beautiful, by the way. The pictures look pretty fantastic. It's not fully ready. There will only be like, I think, five or six flights. Turkish Airline will introduce five or six new flights. So they are not replacement flights from Istanbul Atatürk, the current one. They're going to be new flights that will probably allow them to test infrastructure as well. They will be pretty local ones, if I'm not mistaken. They will go to some parts of Turkey and maybe one or two destinations nearby. So people will be able to to try it, but no way otherwise if you fly internationally to try it until December, if that date holds. I think the date, the 31st of October, was the 95th year, maybe the creation of the country or something. There was some symbolic date attached to it. I think this is why they also wanted to keep that date. Uh, But the inside looks really amazing. They had this opening, of course, with the president, Erdogan, and and a lot of officials, lots of media. The media reported, though, that, you know, they were shuffled in, in the grand, I think, departures hall. But then they were not allowed to take pictures of anything else, and they were shuffled Mm -hmm. back, which kind of tells you that parts of the operations are really not ready yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's telling, isn't it? (laughs) The one thing I will say that I don't like and they should have invested in is if you look at the pictures, the signage of the airport is made of some font of Calibri. If you're using Windows, you're very much aware of that font. Uh, I think they just didn't want to pay, you know, some designer to create a special font and or like license an expensive font that works better for signage is not the greatest. But you know what? Again, we admire them because they did it less than 10 years, brand new airport. We don't even have a third runway at Heathrow. They have a this fantastic airport. Apparently, the rumor is that the lounge of Istanbul, oh, again, I do that mistake twice, of Turkish <laughs> Airlines will be fantastic. I mean, they have to because the current one is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It, it's a very impressive, what's the word? Flagship for that. And I think I admire and appreciate when airlines put in a lot of time and energy into their flagship experience, not just the lounge, but the entire airport experience, because you're really showcasing yourself as an entire 
traveling experience, and you have, which is unusual, your own canvas, if you will, to play with at your home airport. So I appreciate it when airlines go large on that. Of course, Cathay is a great example. Yeah. Okay. Well, since you were at Cathay, great lead to uh, another story. They also had a hack. <laughs> they did, didn't they? Big, big one. Very big one. So they lost what nine million? I say I don't remember. They, they they were hacked. It's not exactly the same type of hack as British Airways that we mentioned, and that that one has expanded actually. But let's go there in a minute. They've also I think announced millions of accounts have been compromised. So if you had your information stored there, which could be your credit card and your maybe address or some personal information about your preference might have been actually stolen. I don't store anything there, so I haven't been contacted by Cathay. Have you? No, I, I haven't for the same reason. Um, I have an Asia Miles account, but that wasn't compromised, even though Asia Miles numbers, I believe, associated with with Cathay reservations were compromised. So I, I haven't been contacted. I, I don't think I've been I've been affected, but a lot of people were. And the South China Morning Post, which is the quote-unquote national newspaper of Hong Kong, was pretty damning in, when they announced this. But to Cathay's credit, they were very forthcoming. They wrote a, a press release, which they announced pretty much straight away. You know what's funny? The, the, <laughs> the link to the tweet that you sent me was by Ben Bland, who is an FT journalist. And maybe, so you sent that at 4.55, three or four hours prior to you sending me that tweet, we had just finished interviewing him for our attache episode. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, weird, 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 weird uh, world. But yes, that's so he's a very interesting guy. So it was 9.4 million. And I think what's the most damning about this is it include passport and ID card numbers. It didn't include credit card numbers like oh, okay. it did with BA. I stand corrected. Four hundred and three expired credit card numbers, and that's okay, well, and that's, and that's it. A... But still, we we shouldn't dismiss the magnitude of this hack. No matter how well Cathay handle it, or or how benign we feel the information may have been, this is still a serious deal. And I think that Cathay stock dropped pretty substantially after this happened. Yeah. I mean, we live in an era where this is just bound to happen, and it's a race between you know whichever company trying to secure their information online and hackers wanted to get in because there's obviously some financial gain in doing so. So, well, at least they handled it correctly. We don't have any insight into where they're not secure enough in the first place. Well, we'll learn more. At least it seems that there are no financial damage to the customers. No. Unlike BA, which you still haven't heard for your own, you know, account being hacked. And they announced in the two weeks since we recorded last that the number of people affected has actually increased at least by, I think, 150,000, maybe 200,000 people. That means that these people were affected, but were not warned in the first instance, which, of course, if you actually are looking at your credit card transactions, you will realize that maybe something odd is happening, but maybe some people, you know, rarely use credit cards. I know a lot that use, you know, their credit cards twice a year just to buy big things like a trip. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the, the, the thing. They say that you may have been actually mm. hacked. They, they're they not entirely sure. I had a friend of mine, Steve, Steve Evans, that was like, okay, guys, so you sent me this email saying that I may have been hacked, but I have multiple credit cards stored on BA, which I use for many transactions, probably in you know, private and business, for instance. You're not even telling me which one might have been, so I don't exactly know what I should be doing. I mean, I, I get in the first place, maybe BA cannot 
fully understand and is still investigating what's happening but on the customer point of view like guys tell me a bit more about what's going on it, it's pretty bad yeah it, it is bad because you want to be able to take those those defensive measures on the card that that will have been affected and if they won't tell you which one then then you don't know to that end i, I when i logged into my american express account recently i got the same notification that i did when i was during the first hack which was we're monitoring it. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to contact us and you don't need to cancel your card. If we see anything, we'll let you know. So the American Express have been really good about this, but that doesn't they mean are. that everybody else will be. And no. you're starting to see tweets go by of people having, and on Flyer Talk as well, of having their accounts compromised and bookings made using their Avios or their credit card associated with their account. So this is a really big thing. And I think BA's response has been laughable frankly <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah they're, they're not handling that they think the fact that they haven't invested properly in it and now they're just uh, maybe the best they can do because they maybe simply are unable to actually being very sure of who's been targeted and what's been targeted because they didn't have the proper infrastructure in the first place you'll tell us alex when you receive more news about that if you have you have you gotten at least your credit score monitoring thing whatever yes. or not yeah i think we've mentioned this in previous episodes the the quote-unquote compensation and i'm not a big person for going after compensation in situations like this was a year i think of yeah. of credit monitoring which i already had uh, hold on because that's what i'm curious about will they set it up for you or are they basically just saying that you can show us the invoice of a year and we'll reimburse that you get a promo code <laughs> you get a promo code to use for a year so basically in your situation because you already have it it's, it's useless oh man come on you should send them like the invoice for a year or something or whatever yeah I, I just feel let down a little yeah. bit because it's again we've talked about this it's not a small thing it's taken a lot of time for a lot of people so i i was thinking about this this morning before we recorded that the response to the it outage which disrupted travel for substantially less people not to diminish that that frustration you know you were included in that is <laughs> the response to that was <laughs> orders of magnitude better or greater than what's happened here and i i i don't understand i don't understand this response at all <laughs> well since we're in the uk we'll, we'll go to ba in a second i just wanted to mention since we talked about airports just before have you heard that gatwick is looking into actually opening its second runway, which is now used as a taxiway, as a second runway for part of the days. I don't know if they want to do load balancing. I don't even know if they're being authorized to do that by the local authorities because it sounds like they just announced that we're going to use it for capacity because, again, if you guys don't know, it's the, the largest single runway airport in terms of passenger traffic. So they really also are at well, capacity with one single runway. But since the other one, the taxiway, just go on Google Maps and put a satellite view, the taxiway, the things that run next door, is actually a runway and yes. they want to open it as a runway. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you think that people will just say, oh, fine, yeah, of course you have your runway, but I, I, I'm not sure. And then where we're going to taxi? Are they just going to do like one each or I, I'm not there, sure. There's a taxiway that runs alongside that runway as well. Oh, which, oh yeah, 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 which, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
which they can which they can use. Uh, it, so there's a couple of interesting points here. They can't use them in parallel operations like you would in a place like San Francisco because yeah. they're not far enough apart. For yeah, they're too that close. To be yeah. Done safely. What they want to do is allow a few more movements per hour by taking planes off when another plane has already landed and yeah. and that that way they can increase i mean it's not a substantial increase in the hourly movements but it's enough to ease the pressure but i mean we both we've both said this publicly on this show and privately back and forth to each other that that airport is bursting at the seams from a real estate perspective as well both terminals yep. and i experienced this yesterday when we arrived and certainly when we left for our, our recent trip it's absolutely bursting at the seams <laughs> There's so many people. It's it's getting uncomfortable. There's not enough room to put anything. So it's yeah. it's getting silly, and they need a little bit more support and love because it is a good airport. It's a good airport. They've done a phenomenal job with what they have. Yeah, and it's almost ironic that the UK has been so forthcoming and so forward-looking into privatizing their airports, so saying that you know Heathrow is privatized, Gatwick is privatized. Most of the airports in the UK are privatized, unlike the US, for instance, where airports are public infrastructure. It should be the case that these airports should be able to go faster. And actually, they, both Gatwick and Heathrow in the UK are both locked into a dead end of not being able to expand anything, not a new terminal, not a new runway for both in both cases. Whereas you see... Like, again, we just mentioned Istanbul or the new Halamaktoum in Dubai or et cetera, et cetera, that are being built and built and built. And there is a certain competitive advantage of having great infrastructure when you see, and you've traveled there as well, Amsterdam, which is also, it's pretty busy. It's busy, But it has sure. like this huge amount of space in terms of runways. Shell de Gaulle, for all we don't like it, has the same thing. Frankfurt, for all we don't like it, seems to have a little bit of more space. They have a lot of noisy regulations, though, but something should be done but yeah I yeah know. yeah I don't, I don't know what's going to happen and i'm all i'm a big believer in due process especially environmental True. impact but i think there comes a point where you just have to be politically brave and say okay we're going we've considered everything and we still believe this is the correct option for the country and the economy and just and just do it and just do it the money the money for these things usually ends up being non-public money anyway so it's not it's not so much that and anyway or in terms of return on investment for airports i mean the case writes itself and again these two airports are actually net positive they're making money of course parts of it is shareholders money so private money but parts mm -hmm. of it also comes back to the coffers of the state uh, elon musk has said yesterday that he wants to commit maybe he said maybe to not only develop a supersonic plane but also an electrical supersonic plane, but also a vertical takeoff electric supersonic plane. <laughs> that would solve all their runway issues because if we could suddenly like go off like, you know, in the Thunderbirds or something, and just like <laughs> leave the earth, that would be effing amazing. <laughs> so BA, you flew BA to Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. Right? I did. I How did was indeed. that? You know, I knew from a long way away that I was going to be on one of the non-refurbished 747s, one of the old 747s. And I took the precaution. I'd booked in premium economy, and I knew that I was going to... It was a day flight, which are just so dull. They're so boring. No matter how good the experience <laughs> is, no matter how good the IFE is, they're just boring. And so I actually went out and bought one of the M-Power adapters because they don't have <laughs> USB power, nor do they have 
power plugs in the in the seat. They do can have. You, this, can you can you still find these? These like technology from the sixties. It or took a while, but I found one on eBay. So I, <laughs> I and I bought it, and you know, I was like, because they wanted to get some work done or watch some some things. That's fine, you know. It is what it is. I was I, I still had the joy of flying on a seven forty seven, which yeah, was great. True. And I snagged a decent seat in premium economy, which was the last row on the right, which is usually pretty quiet. And I went. Did I go to the lounge? I don't even remember. Uh, <laughs> I can't even remember. <laughs> I remember anymore. But I was walking actually to the gate, and I got an alert saying your seat's been changed. And I was like, God what? damn it, you bastard! Why have you done this to me? You know, it's not the <laughs> end of the world. It was just not what I wanted to hear at that moment. It didn't tell me what the seat was. It just said see the gate agent. So when I got to the gate agent, they handed me a new boarding card. It's in business class. Oh, nice. So I had I had got a rare operational upgrade on BA. Never had that on BA. I'm so jealous. I've had it a few times, maybe five times. In- well, you, you fly you fly BA more, which also... I do fly BA, that- and it's only ever happened when I've been in premium economy because it's a sm- oh. much, much smaller cabin, and it was a very busy flight. And probably the algorithm kicks in that Alex is flying a lot, long haul, BA. If they have to choose someone, could be you. Yeah, and I, you know, being a gold card holder, having a reasonable, yeah, yeah, exactly. reasonably yeah. high on the list, certainly not the, not the highest, but I was assigned an aisle seat in the business cabin, and you know, we've talked about the BA business class product. I don't rail it anymore because they're refreshing it. I have a funny feeling that the new BA business class is going to be really, really good. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> I, I'm not going to waste any breath on on the old seat. The one thing I will say is that you forget how exposed you are in those aisle seats because there's nothing next to you. You know, I, I, sorry to interrupt your story. I flew to Madrid on Friday and obviously I chose the triple seven <laughs> yes and uh since it was for a client not madrid but lisbon i mean complicated story but anyway i was in business class and i hadn't been in those you know reverse type of oh, situation yes. seats for a while i don't even know why they fly a triple seven to madrid because the cabin was half empty i know like why you've done with a 321 but they, but they yeah, do it's it true for that, cargo capacity Oh yeah, yeah, we yeah we talked. You talked about that. Yeah, it's true. Fin- fin- yeah, yeah, that's how I discovered that little nugget. That usually the first flight of the day is a bigger airplane, just so that there's cargo capacity. Actually, it's funny because the 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 head of the cabin pursuer, what's the name on B? I always forget. Cabin uh, services manager, I think. Came to me says, "You choose this route on purpose because it's a triple seven. So, yeah. <laughs> like, do you have that on file about me or something? That's hilarious. <laughs> but anyway, you look at these seats and you're like, those were super modern and super futuristic mm-hmm. 10 years ago. But now, yeah, it's it's pretty exposed indeed. It is exposed. And I think it's time to be retired. And I'm glad they're investing in the money. And I just remembered, I was like, I don't remember going to either of the BA lounges. Well, that's because I was in Terminal 3. So, of course, I went to the Cathay Lounge <laughs> <laughs> and of had a course. great experience there, like I always do, and ate the wonderful dan dan mian noodles like i always do <laughs> um which is why i can't remember it so yeah I, th- I mean the flight was 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 long and boring as it always is on those daytime flights to north america but luckily i had my laptop so that was fine and vegas was interesting because we couldn't taxi in when we landed because the mechanism or that taxi you in at the airport side, so the those lights that guide you in and tell the airplane when to slow down and when to stop were broken. So oh. it took us forever to actually do the last 15 feet 
onto the runway. And you could hear the captain's <laughs> exas- exasperation towards the end of it. Because we, eventually we had to be we had to be towed in. He said, "You know, we've just come fifty three hundred miles, and you know the technology required for all of this to happen is blah blah blah, blah and we can't make the last fifteen feet, and it's got nothing, <laughs> and there's nothing we can do about." It. But, but that was kind of that was it was kind of amusing. So that was fine. And then I did I did American from Vegas to Chicago. There's a reason which I'll tell you it will become apparent in a second. And I finally got an experience on American where I can see where people are like, I don't I don't understand your love for American, Alex. It wasn't bad at all, but it was nearly four hours, which shows you I mean, you, you one often forgets how big America is as a country. Yeah, 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 yeah. When the captain came on and said our flight time from Vegas to Chicago is gonna be three hours and forty seven minutes, I was like, surely he means two hours and forty seven minutes, because <laughs> we're already pretty far east in Vegas. Well, you know, compared to LA or San Francisco. And sure enough, it was nearly four hours. Like, it's long, yeah. It's a long flight. And I was in the first row. It's fine. The service is always really friendly and you get Wi Fi and power and IFE and all of that. It was in a sort of 17-year-old plane, so it was a little bit worse for wear, but there was nothing to write home about it. So I finally had a mediocre experience on American Airlines. <laughs> but mediocre. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't bad at, at all. But the interesting experience for me was getting to Chicago and having to transfer from one of the many terminals to Terminal 5, I think it is, where BA fly out of. Mm-hmm. And the train is out of service Monday to Friday. So they've got this SkyTrain thing that runs between the terminals. That was out of service. But they do have, and I'm sure many of you O'Hare frequent travelers will know this, but this was news to me. There is a bus, airside bus, that goes from one of the gates, right next to one of the sort of far away gates in the, I think, Terminal 3. O'Hare frequent flyers, let me know if that's wrong, to Terminal 5. And you sort of have to line up This person looks at your passport and your boarding pass, gives you this laminated paper ticket. You queue up, go down to these stairs, get on this bus, and you go all over the airport, across runways, all airside, in and out of the wheels of 747s and 777s to Terminal 5, up these stairs where your laminated ticket is taken from you, I'm assuming, so... They make sure that the same amount of people get off as it's got on at the beginning. You don't have anybody airside that shouldn't be. It was really cool. I can imagine that if you're on a tight connection, it would be really stressful. But I had a lot of time and it was it was kind of fun. And you're sort of belched out into Terminal 5 among the gates and you go and go and find your place. So that was that was weird. And I went to the Concord Lounge or the first well, they call it a lounge. It was like a broom closet at O'Hare. It's a dining room just for first class passengers because oh, wow. I was flying in first. And you can't use it if you're a gold card member. You have to be flying in first. It was microscopic. It was absolutely tiny. Maybe had six or seven two-person tables. But I will tell you this. I had the best service I've ever had in a lounge anywhere at that place. The, oh, the, wow, the, really? The, the young gal who looked after me was so friendly and so kind and so good at her job I don't know if she was a BA employee or a one of the third-party service companies that, that yeah. often service lounges or provide staff for airlines. I didn't want anything to eat because I wanted to eat on board, and I'd just eaten on my flight over. 
but she still went out into the business class lounge and got me a bunch of, of crudité and dips and all of these things just in case I got hungry. The food was was okay. It looked, looked pretty good. Uh, I didn't order anything, but I just wanted to give her a shout out because she was so, so good. Really representative of, of of what I think BA should strive for in all of its lounges, even though it was a broom closet in O'Hare, windowless broom closet in O'Hare. <laughs> I love how you call that. Yeah, it was tiny. Call. It was tiny. Even the lounge itself was was really small as well for for business and first, and it was bursting at the seams as well. So, and then how you came back? I came back on an A380 and first on BA, which is the first time I've done that because my how was that? Uh... It wasn't. <laughs> Why is that? Usually, when we talk first, you jump right into it. What happened? Dude. Well, I'll tell you. So you come into the cabin, and this was the first time I'd done it on an A380. The only times I've done BA and first have been on a 747. So it's a completely different cabin. You know, on ANA in business, how it feels very is it clinical? Is that the word I'm looking for? It's it's not the wood of an Emirates or, or the, or the gold laminate of an Emirates. It's not the, the refined design and, and, and sort of leather of, of a Swiss. It's very metallic and, and I'm, I'm struggling to find the right words here, but it's not beautiful. It's very comfortable. It's very functional. It's very utilitarian and you get on board and they've got all the lights Bright, which I think is a massive mistake, mistake on an A380. Yeah. Huge, like really bright lights, and you you step on board and add a sort of like morgue feeling to it. <laughs> and I was like, I really, I was really taken aback because you expect because when you get on the 747, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm I, I, I'm not I'm not kidding. I mean, when you get on the 747 and first, there's mood lighting. They've got that blue tint behind the windows. It looks really. Nice, and of course, it's got the beautiful curve at the nose of the seven forty-seven. Seven, yeah. This, this did not have that, and I, <laughs> I was really taken aback at first. It was striking how sort of bright and garish it was. So I sat in the in the suite, which they call it, and it was fine. It's fine. It's got an, uh, lots of storage. It's got a nice lamp, big fold-out screen, much like in the in the existing business seat and in the existing first seat. It was fine. It was comfortable. As a physical product, nice big table. The IFE was the standard Panasonic stuff, which BA have really upped their game on lately. I don't know if you've you've noticed or anybody listening have noticed. The content is much richer, much deeper, lots of classic films. But what really let down the experience was the service. It was oh, appalling. It's it's you know what? There's a trend there. Every time we talk about BA long haul, we're disappointed. And every time we talk about BA short haul, we're super happy. Yeah. BA short haul is so good. Yeah. And we've we've mentioned this and we've mentioned Anytime, it with surprise yeah. that we I think we should no longer be surprised. We should almost be surprised if it's not good. But I've been I've been racking my brain because I know why I was gonna talk about this on, on this episode. I've been racking my brain on how to say this. And describe it without sounding like a snob. <laughs> and I, and people, I'm that, people, people who you know, you know that you're a snob anyway. Yeah, I, I actually, I'm an elitist dick. But <laughs> <laughs> here's what frustrated me about the service. It was way too familiar, way too casual, way too... It wasn't deferential at all. It wasn't... I, and I don't like fawning, pandering, ass-kissing service. I don't like that at all. I like, as I've sort of alluded to in these past episodes, I like friendliness. I like familiarity and assertiveness. I like anticipation. There was none of that here. It was way too 
jokey, but not in a funny way. And I wanted to eat, and I'll come to that later, even though it was a very, very, very short flight. We clicked up. We were doing a thousand kilometers an hour at one point, ground speed because of the wind. And I started to make my bed, and the and the person looking after me said, no, 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 no. She actually told me to bugger off so she can do it. And she was trying to be funny. I wasn't in the mood. So I went into the galley, and I was the seat closest to the galley. While I was standing in the galley, just sort of looking around, because I think galleys are fascinating places, through the galley curtain comes the wrapper of my duvet, like flying through the curtain and onto the floor of the galley. Wow. And I, and, and I looked and laughed the first time. And the cabin services manager kind of looked at me and nervously laughed. And then the, another one. And then another one. And then another really? one. Really? Like flying past my face. And uh, the cabin service manager kind of laughed nervously and said, oh, gosh, you can't get the help these days. And I was like, this is kind of ridiculous. Because the first time it was funny, the third or fourth time just showed me that you're just doing this. And it was just, it was like that the whole time. It wasn't a premium experience. It was so bad. It was so bad. And again, I had this on my last 747 first class flight over to Miami. And it comes down to the whole mixed fleet, worldwide fleet thing. I think, I feel. So that was disappointing. But I will end on this note because it's absolutely worth saying. When I ordered dinner, it was the best food I've ever had on an airplane ever. Wow. Better than Cathay first. Better than Emirates first, better than Singapore Airlines. It was exemplary. I had a Tom Yong soup that was like anything I'd eat in Southeast Asia. I had the best lamb chops I've had in in land or sky. The food was outstanding. I think, and I may have gotten my facts wrong here, but I think they're using Doe and Co now for yeah, yeah, they have yeah because I've had uh, I just flew BA and even on their short roll it's Doe and Co. And it was actually very, very good, even on a two and a half hours flight within Europe. I am not exaggerating. It was the best food I've ever had on a plane. I couldn't believe wow. it. I was, I was, I was dumbstruck. I was, it was just <laughs> so damn good. And it made me think, gosh, you know, BA, if this is the bar you're setting, if, if this is the sort of incremental improvement that you're striving towards and you've been putting those hundreds of millions of pounds towards for your premium cabin... You're on the right track because it was game changing. So that was good. I, and then the flight was fine. Flight was short. I used the BA arrivals lounge and I'd never actually been able to use the Concorde bit in, was it T? Yeah, it was T5. In T5, the arrivals lounge, which is post immigration and customs and all of that. It was fine. Although I think I did tell you that I ordered these smoked salmon and scrambled eggs <laughs> and they literally just take a fancy bowl and go to the buffet in, in the business class lounge and get it for you and bring it to you in a fancy bowl, <laughs> which made me laugh. But it was fine. The service was great. So a very mixed experience on BA and first, but damn, was that food good. Man, now I need to try that. And I have no actually idea how, but I will have to try that. Wow. I'm very, very impressed by that. Yeah. I mean, I, I was surprised as well. So I did um, the triple seven from Heathrow to Madrid on Friday. And I was actually curious. I was like, so will the crew be one of these long haul crew that is not great? 
or because it's a short-haul flight, will the crew be a short-haul type of crew? I don't know which, because, of course, I didn't ask them. Uh, I remember the pursuer was called Emily. She was awesome. I didn't ask her, like, hey, uh, so which kind of crew are you? What is your union or something? Yeah. But it was the best BA crew I've ever had. It's Full funny, point. isn't it? It was amazing. They were like five. Of course, probably because the cabin wasn't full, they had more time. But then again, I don't think that BA would have put like 25 people knowing that the load wouldn't have been there. But it was really, really every single person I had, I interacted with four out of the few people I saw there. They were all fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. So again, Short haul PA every single time, and I think we repeat ourselves mm-hmm. and we bore audiences, especially those who never fly PA or do not live in the UK. That every time we do that, it's a great experience. It is always. It is. It, it, it really is, and I don't think that that's just in the pointy end. I think in the back as well, in economy, that I've I've experienced that that as well. And I think because we talk about it so much, I think it reinforces how critical service tone it, yeah. and delivery is for it, an airline. Absolutely, absolutely. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. You can have like a pretty average, I'm not going to say crappy, but pretty average hard product. So you see it might be not a newest one, but if you have people that engage with you, and especially like for me, the tone is about reading the room and reading yeah. you, Alex, or reading me. There are some people that will not want any type of familiarity, and it's fine. And there's some other people, me, I'm okay with some because, mm. you know, I'm, I'm never been very uptight or whatever. So the people that can read that, the, the crew that can read it, are usually the best. And BA on short haul, every single time they nail it, yeah. they understand what type of customer I am. They don't have an iPad in front of them that tells them that. Maybe they have a file on us. I don't know if out of privacy concerns that actually exist, but they simply are very good at reading you and saying, okay, this guy or this lady wants to be talked in that way and let's play with it, right? On the way back, I went from Lisbon to Heathrow last night. That was not a 777, guys. It was a 320. Same. The crew was very, very, very good. And the plane was late by 40 minutes. Then there was runway capacity issues at Lisbon, so we had to wait a further 30 minutes in the plane at the gates. There was no drinks or whatever, just you know, water. It's fine, but they were very engaging. The pilot was also super cool, keeping explaining us what's happening. It was a fantastic experience. And again, it was a 320 in Europe, guys. 320 in Europe, you've been in 320s. They're all the same. There's nothing special about them. But because the service was good, that made up for everything else. Yeah, it really does. And I, I, I don't know what if there's a trend or if it's even fair to to do that based on which type of crew they are or what union deal they have. I've definitely seen patterns, but I don't know enough about the structure of their of their so, organizations to to say whether this is definitively the I just don't think it is definitively the root cause. I just think no. that it's it's a very interesting trend and it dissuades me from wanting to travel long haul on BA because it yep. it, it can be so bad. But actually, you know, we don't have Wi-Fi. We don't have seat back on any long, on any short haul carrier in, in Europe. So I wait to see what the next year brings for BA in terms of service, both physical and 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 soft product. Well, there you go. A three fifty is coming in line next year. Not going to be a first class on the three fifty. 
that gives some credence to the rumor that they are trying a play like First in Business, which is a tagline of Qatar for their Q-suite. They're trying to do a very good business class. That means that you don't need then a first class if you already have such a good business class. The rumor is that they are basing the design on the Vantage uh, seat, something that you can see on SAS or Qantas, for instance, I believe, but they're basing it on it. means that you know there's a lot of room to play with. Will it have a door like the Cui Suite on Qatar Airways, which, by the way, I'm flying for the first time in two weeks. Ha <laughs> ha. I'll, uh, nice. I'll be telling you all about that. And they are. Let's also be, and I think we said that as well many times, when they introduced the business class back in the day, it was a very good and very forward-looking one. So mm. probably, hopefully, the one that they will introduce next year will have the same, like, building them up for the next 10 years. And the Doe Co., you know what? Uh, the chocolate mousse that I had on the 777 to Madrid was uh, one of the best chocolate mousse I ever had in a flight. And as a Swiss, I'm very, very peculiar on my chocolate. So yeah, I think Doe Co. is actually very good. <laughs> they nailed it. The chocolate that you recommended to me to get in Zurich, by the way. Sprungli. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I brought some back from my wife and they give me major kudos. Some of the best chocolate I've ever had in my life. <laughs> uh, since you talked about the wind, you mentioned the wind that you were going fast. I, I read something quite interesting that the longest flight ever, um, Singapore to uh, New York and back, is actually flying much faster than expected because instead of going the direction you'd expect it to go, they are, and that's kind of, of course, understandable, they are following the winds. And so they're really going above the Antarctic to have the best winds and they're actually beating the, the time by two hours or something. It's yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? But they say that probably due, you know, because, you know, the seasons in two, three months, they will have to revert to a different route to follow the winds. I love that kind of stuff. It's pretty, pretty cool. We I do. I was thinking about that too, how, how interesting it is, that all that flight planning stuff. So since you, you were in the US, uh, you said your AA experience was not the best. And we have a lot of comments from US travelers, actually, because our show is quite popular in the US. Of course, it's in English. Uh, yeah. Duh. <laughs> and we have the Delta fans. The Delta fans are very, very vocal because, again, and we said it, Delta had been gone out of the whole mess of the US airlines earlier than the others. So they, they, they learned their lesson earlier. So they, they are doing quite a lot of things right, apparently, according to a lot of our listeners, especially business travelers. I'm not saying they're traveling always in business class, but like corporate travels, they travel quite a lot. But we have United fans actually now also coming back at us. Let's admit something. We like to, or at least I like to criticize United. <laughs> the reason we do that is, of course, we believe that United has an issue. There wouldn't be that many stories of problems with United. But also, when you have the largest airline in the world, the kid who sits in the first row in the classroom is going to be picked on and we're going to pick on United. You know, we will not go for like this random small airline yeah. base in Asia. We will talk about United. So it's the you should know better model. Yeah, exactly. So let's mention two people that have actually uh, reached out to us to talk about United. Daniel Yim on Facebook. I noticed that you guys really don't like United Airlines. However, I just wanted to share that I am actually a fan of United. They are still one of my favorite airlines from the US. You may think I am crazy for saying that, but what I really appreciate about United is that they frequently use wide-body aircrafts for domestic flights, unlike many other US airlines who operate mostly 320s and 737s. And they've always done that. I remember they used to use 
747s to go from like San Francisco to Denver. And my brother Will says that they still often do. Actually, of course, we know that because we talked about it a couple of episodes ago where he was exactly. literally on the first <laughs> triple seven. So that's a great uh, point. That's a great point. Another another one, Nicole Harrison on Facebook as well. Uh, she she loves our podcast. It's just she's awesome. Thank you so much. And she wants to make a comment about United. <laughs> As we all know, you you guys have a lot of bad things to say about United, and rightfully so. However, and that's capitalized, I believe uh, there is one thing that United does that no other US carrier does, and this is also the only reason why I love United and continue to fly them. My busy schedule only allows me to go on short trips within the US, which is why I really get the chance to fly 777s or Dreamliners. I understand that feeling. It's uh, We say, and uh, we keep repeating in our in our podcast that we like to fly, Alex and I, we like to fly different stuff, yeah. not always 320. So yeah, I, I get it. She also adds, and we I think we acknowledge that, United genuinely cares about their airplanes, that they make efforts to celebrate inaugural flights. And of course, the Farewell ones, we mentioned many times, the 747 or the way they, you know, they celebrated when they retired it. Yeah, Nicole, Daniel, would you agree? <laughs> again, it's easy to poke fun at United because of their PR disasters. There's been many, again, in the past three weeks. I'm not going to go there, I promise. We're not going to stop criticizing United. But please let us know. If you have, like, amazing experiences at United, let us know. I think, Greg. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Greg uh, Greg Barnes, who does uh, Attaché with me, is uh, he sent me a... A message saying that that he had a very interesting experience with United, and we'll try and we'll try and get him on, or at least at least get him uh, to to give us his thoughts in a little bit more detail. But he he had a positive experience, and I, this seems to be this is not no longer random; it's turning into a trend. United defenders, American airline defenders, or Delta lovers, just you know, come at us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the whole point of this show is to have opinions and to make a little bit of a laugh of many things. So yeah. just we don't want you also to think that we like. Uh, pure fine boys of like eh, the likes of Emirates or Cathay's they also do stuff wrong and we were going to call them out so absolutely just come at us though I'll finish with that Alex has more exposure way more exposure to the US airline market than I have obviously my opinions may be worthless <laughs> Um, since we're still in the US Delta, we mentioned, I think, two or three episodes in a row that they were launching the Airbus 220. They actually now are flying them. If you're flying economy, you have to choose the seat 16E because it's in the row of three, but in front of you, there's a row of two, and then you have uh, nice. both a window and a leg room, and you're in economy. That will be the favorite seat for a lot of AV geeks, I believe. And when I get the chance to fly Delta within the US with that aircraft, I'll definitely choose that seat <laughs> <laughs> because I'm very tall. On the topic of the CS series, so the Bombardier, now a 220, we had a listener, Jacob Courtade, that reacted on both our comments when you flew it on Swiss and I also fly it on Swiss. I might actually fly it on Air Baltic uh, next month. I'm also looking forward to that. That there was no divider between yeah. economy and business. And he says something very interesting that the reason Swiss hasn't installed a movable cabin divider isn't cost. It's that Bombardier cannot figure it out. What? Uh, they were supposed to have a solution for Swiss by product launch in 2016. However, Bombardier has no experience with this. Their airlines typically have fixed domestic first 
a cabin exactly like Delta. You know, the seats in the front are simply different than the seats in the back. Whereas, guys, in Swiss, like any aircraft in Europe, the seats are exactly the same. So since they have no experience, they never had produced a plane with a divider uh, for the European market and thus couldn't actually figure out a solution. They still don't have a solution because there's still no dividers <laughs> like it exists on 320. That's or, amazing. Or, or, yeah, yeah. I, maybe they've abandoned the idea of dividers altogether, though I, I'm, I'm thinking that now that they've been onboarded by Airbus, which has experience in dividers, obviously, and that it's clear, almost like a certainty, that this airplane will be a smash hit because a lot of airlines are interested in it. We will see dividers because if more European airlines, especially, buy them, airlines will ask for some kind of curtain or some system to separate. Yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that it's just because Bombardier didn't know how to do it. Yeah, it's, you never would have thought that that would be the actual reason. Jacob, thank you so much. He's actually Canadian, lives in Switzerland. It's perfect. He, he knows the Bombardier because he's Canadian and he also lives he's in Switzerland, Swiss, which yeah. was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> to one of my trips, the one I just actually mentioned, for some reason, when you try to book on Iberia, which again, it's the same company, IAG, then BA, which also has Aer Lingus oh, and others. Yeah. When you try to book on Iberia, it's usually less expensive than when you book on BA. So I had to do uh, London, Madrid, BA, Madrid, Lisbon, Iberia, and then I went back from Lisbon to uh, London with BA. And when I was looking for the pricing, the best prices were on Iberia. And I'm like, this is the same exact route. Why is it less expensive in Iberia? It doesn't make any sense. It's the same seat, same plane. Yeah. Same, yeah, yeah, I never understood that. I don't. I, it's such a, it's such a mystery. Airline pricing. So I, I did that. Obviously, I didn't want to pay more for the same exact thing. Iberia's website is really not the greatest, but it's okay. You can actually find your way around it. But then it wouldn't let me check in online on anything. I would go on Iberia and it would say, oh, you're actually flying BA, so please refer to the BA's website. Okay, fine. I'm going to the BA's website. I was able to locate my PNR, but then it would say, oh, but no, it's an Iberia booking. You cannot check in. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. You don't agree with each other. So long for the integration. So I, I show up at Heathrow and you and me have access to that first wing if you're a gold card holder. I give my name, and she's like, oh, you cannot check in here. And I'm like, sorry, what? They said, yeah, your your PNR is Iberia. You need to go to zone whatever. And I'm like, uh, hold on, are you not the same company? And, and then she says, oh, but your flight is on BA today. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, so I'll let you through. And she adds, this is starting today. Today was uh, November 2nd, so probably starting November, if you have an Iberia booking, you're not able to access the first wing at Ethro, which... That doesn't make any sense. Two out of the three flights I was making are on BA. One day, one day, one day. And then in Lisbon, I had a similar story. And you're like, how many years have they been together? Like oh, yeah, exactly. the same company? One mentioned about Iberia. The plane I was in, it was a 320. It was almost 17 years. Wow. But USB and 110 volts at each seat. You're like, how is not BA or Lufthansa or Air France or all these other companies don't have that. Yeah, that's, that's frustrating. And again, I, you know, same with American. You know, a lot of the 737s I flew on were 8, 9, 10, 15 years old, and they all had that, they all had that, that uh, as well as Wi-Fi. So there's no excuse anymore. Yeah. I, I don't fly Iberia a lot, so I don't have experience, guys. If any of you flies Iberia, Iberia, some, some people would say, uh, they... <laughs> 
<laughs> we land, and Iberia is one of the world's leading airlines for on-time arrival. <laughs> he actually says that. Mm. He gives the statistics and proudly says that we've only been four minutes late today and people should be happy about it. And I was like, is, do they force you to tell you that? <laughs> yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, why not? It's, it's nice to be on time, right, by the way. But it's, it's interesting that the pilot would say that upon landing on the PA... Is that something, guys, who fly Iberia? Is that something that happens every single time? Because I've never heard that. <laughs> it's like a, it's like going on a date and they start going through their resume. It seems <laughs> like the information is superfluous. Tinder for airlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, another little trip I did was to go to Athens for a travel event. Aegean, Aegean is recognized among the leading airlines and actually leading airline in Europe. It's always great. The food is really amazing. They really have fantastic, fantastic local food. And I think I had actually said that on the layovers episode of Mastication Nation. So I just wanted to acknowledge Aegean because I went for this travel event. I was doing the introduction speech. And AGN is the biggest sponsor. They were the biggest sponsor of the event, the biggest partner of the event. I would like to do the introduction as if I'm doing a P announcement on a flight. And we kind of play with that idea. Can I just like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, as if I was a pilot and say something. And I was like, you know, maybe they will run with it. And they kind of they said, okay, well, you can do something like that. And, and I said, can I have maybe some people dressed as flight attendants, Next to me, maybe two flight attendants next to me to play with their hands and make, you know, the gesture when I was showing the actual, uh, let's say, the emergency exits of the room that they will, you know, do their usual signage that they would do in the cabin. And they said, yes. And I was totally expecting that they had given me the possibility of having two temps to, you know, two people that you hire through an agency that would basically imitate what a flight attendants would do. No, they actually sent me Eight real flight attendants that with me on stage. So cool. <laughs> eight. I can't get over that. Eight. And we did my entire first bit of my speech was with them signing. It was absolutely fantastic that they would play the game, that they will not only accept that I would do something like that, but that they would actually give me real flight attendants. I guess they would have to be paid to do that because that's, you know, work hours or something. And they were with me on stage playing along. And so kudos to Aegean for having played along. Really, guys, you're awesome for having done that. I had a great time. I have some pictures. I'll actually post some on, on the our Instagram. I was going to say, is there anywhere where we can all see this? <laughs> and the video will come out at some point, I hope, because it's really, a, even for me, it's a very, very fun memory. I didn't go, I had this idea in my mind, should I even like dress up as a pilot? But you know what? I think, I'm not going to say that for sure, but I think I've understood that if I had been dressed as a pilot, it might have been a problem with the union of pilots that would have not been very happy of me uh, imitating them. So fair. I didn't go that far. Fair. I mean, I didn't go that far. I didn't want to create any trouble. They were already like so cool to play along with it. And also, hello to the to the eight ladies. I hope I'm going to see you in a flight soon because <laughs> you were really awesome. We, we rehearsed for like three hours and then the day of the conference, it was amazing. Anyway. Wow. Um... Do you drink gin and tonics at 8 a.m., Alex? Uh, I try to avoid it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen that they are willing to ban all-day drinking at a UK airport? Yes, I have. And I was, I was fascinated to see the reaction on Twitter to this, <laughs> what I thought was, you know, because I've talked about this in the past where, you, you know, just 
We do have a problem with that in this country. I think it's really weird that, you know, you go to an airport at 6.30 in the morning and people have got the pints lined up. That's strange to me. And I thought, well, yeah, this makes sense because we've had quite a few incidents in the last couple of years with inebriated people causing problems on planes. But apparently this is a civil liberty <laughs> too far to be taken away from the uh, the beautiful British public. So it's, it's kicked up a lot of a lot of opinion. I don't think if they're going to go through with it, but it could be actually. You know, I'm also very, as being not British, but living here, I'm sometimes also baffled. There was a, an American woman, I think that was like a week ago, uh, that was so plastered in a flight from uh, Heathrow to... I think dollars that after a narrow flight, they had to divert back to Heathrow <laughs> to, to remove her from That's the flight. So bad. And she was American. So it's not only in British that actually drink a lot. Anyway, um, Brewdog. Have you invested in Brewdog, Alex? No, I haven't. But I do like what they produce. If you were, and I, I'm really sad that neither of us is an investor because they will charter a Brewdog plane. So you will have a Brewdog Boeing 767 in February, with passengers, investors obviously, because it's not open to the public, taking part in beer tasting at altitude with a special in-flight menu that is paired with the beer you'll be able to try. And now I'm regretting I never invested. Yeah, me that too. Would be amazing. <laughs> Such a cool idea. It is a cool idea. I mean, I know that we've talked about, jokingly, trying to do a layovers flight, but these guys have, have gone and done it. They also have a lot more money than they do <laughs> in terms of a, as a business, but it uh, doesn't mean we can't steal the idea. Do, do you think they will actually alter their beers to be potent in flight? Well, I mean, we've experienced it with Betsy. I think yeah. it absolutely can and, and does change the way that beer tastes and, and and every other food and beverage the way it tastes yeah, but sh do you think they will actually try to no, mix i don't think so i don't think so uh, i'd be impressed if they did but i don't think that they will so betsy you just flew cathy i did I how did. was that it was fantastic as it so often is my entire family flew from london to hong kong out of Gatwick again, which is for us is such a joy because it's so much closer to our house than Heathrow is. Uh, and it's also, it's a 350. It leaves at a very sensible time of day, uh, about 12.45 in the afternoon. It was great. And I think before we even got on the plane, it kind of exemplified the Cathay experience. We were hanging around the, the gate area and someone from the, the ground crew approached us and took the buggy and they do what they need to do with it. And they're like, why don't you, why don't you just go on board? It'll be much easier. And we weren't ready, quite ready. And so we're sort of picking up bags and this lady says, no, 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 no. And she grabs like three or four of our bags. That's nice. Cause I've, I'm holding my then nine month old daughter trying to wrangle my boys. And she carries the bags to our seat all the way onto the airplane, carries, it shows us and introduces us to the, to the cabin crew, carries our bags to the seat and says, thank you, holds my daughter while my wife gets set up on her special seat belt on where you've got a, you know, you have your own seat belt and then there's one that loops in to go around the baby as well. We get settled. My wife is across the aisle in the bulkhead and my, my sons and I are just across the aisle in the three next to the, to the window at the bulkhead. And the crew are sort of, okay, what do you need from us right now? Is there anything that we do you need hot water? Do you need anything? And my wife said, no, 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 we've, we've got everything. They come back with this massive pack for my wife. Well, for the baby, but really for my wife with nappies and wipes and 
tons of baby food and change of clothes for the baby. Not Cathay branded, just this will be useful for you because you're, you have a baby. And I, we were in economy. There wasn't anything special. They didn't know, I don't think at that point, that we I was even a gold card holder on, on another airline. But it was all this useful uh, sort of nappy cream and basically anything that you could you could need if you were traveling with a kid. And that just sort of set the tone and reminded you, this is standard for a lot of airlines or, 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 <laughs> exactly. or, or the few good airlines in the world. This is the normal thing. May I interrupt you there? Mm. Uh, is that because I don't have kids. So is that something that you keep having every time your family? Are you still prioritize first to board uh, it, the plane? It depends on the airline. I mean, I we would have boarded first anyway because I've got my BA gold card, which is honored and, and accepted on all One World carriers, except American, where they board their top tier first, maybe, which I think is fine, totally acceptable. But we would have boarded anyway. Yes, generally, they board families and people that need Families with young kids. So if it had just been, if my daughter hadn't been there, we would not have technically qualified. Because I'm a status older, so usually I'll be very front of the line. So I will see witness to people that enter first. And I have seen a trend, it's not scientific, but it's just me traveling. But it seems that less airlines do that, or less flights I've been on have this built in. For me, it was, you know, kind of normal that people with assistance and people with kids, especially strollers, but it could also be slightly uh, older kids, would get first, get settled, and then they start boarding priority passengers, et cetera, et cetera. And I have a feeling, and maybe guys, listeners, tell us if you're seeing that as well. I have a feeling that because maybe some idiot priority travelers are, are complaining. It seems that now it's not always the case. Um, I think sensible airlines realize it makes sense to get them out of the way. Exactly. You know, get and the, you need more get time the... to settle in as well. I mean, I guess you you have three kids and a baby and all the stuff. You need a little bit more time. So you're yeah. going to clog anyway the, the ale. So better leave you a few yeah. minutes for you first. And we and have it enter. down to an art because we do it frequently. And <laughs> No, you know, because you're called Alex Hunter. Well, that too. But we, you know, we have a system. We know exactly what we're going to do. We know who's got which kids and who's sitting where and all of that. It still takes us time. It still takes us time because kids human. are kids and they mess around and they, you know. But I was so impressed by Cathay doing that. Both the combination of ground staff and in flight who looked after us so well. And we were, my sons and I had the bulkhead, which had acres of space in front of us. So I could actually have my daughter. Hey, send me a picture. Yeah, yeah. That's a really awesome seat. In flight, it meant that I could let my wife rest. I had all three kids. My daughter just sat on the floor in front of us and played while my sons either slept or ate or watched TV or whatever. That was the perfect seat. It wasn't great for the boys to sleep because you have the fixed armrest. And on the way back, we were run well behind. And actually, they slept much better as a result. But... Cathay were great. The food was was fine for economy. The IFE, as you know, is top notch. Where they've got live TV now, and the Wi-Fi was good. And there's just there's just so much to do. So it was fantastic. On the on the way back, we left at I think half past midnight, and my kids were fading by then. <laughs> um, but it was it was a fine trip back. Very very easy. They slept. No, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hobby. Before you say that, your kids were dressed up as pilots at Hong Kong airport. Oh my I want God, to know about yeah. that. Okay, so there's, I mean, first of all, before I mention the other flight we took on this trip, Hong Kong airport is a building site right now. It is, yeah. my father-in-law, who's a semi-retired 
mechanic by trade, is fascinated by all things sort of machinery. And we took him up to the top of Terminal 2 where there's that great observation deck. And you can see all of the dredging equipment and barges and ships out building the third runway to the north of the airfield. But also behind Terminal 2, there's massive infrastructure projects going on to support the Macau Hong Kong Shuhai Bridge, which just opened yeah, yeah. while we were it there. Just but, opened, yeah. but also the expansion of Terminal 1 and the airport facilities there. It is unbelievable how much construction is going on there. Unfortunately, and I pray this is temporary, the Hong Kong experience is not great. The airport experience is not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Airside, airside. Landside is fine. Landside, it's still clockwork. It's still great. There's still great facilities. It's still a joy to come in and out of. But when you come in, for those of you that know Hong Kong Airport well, when you come out of outbound immigration and you're and you're in this sort of raised area before you go down to the gate level, there's this huge food court. Half of that is being redeveloped, so there's very few options. There used to be two or three really good local Hong Kong restaurants there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're nothing to write home about, but they're good local chow before you get on the flight. They've been replaced by benign international fare that you could get in... You know, anywhere. San Francisco, Copenhagen, Singapore, anywhere in the world. And that drives me effing crazy. It really pisses me off. So we say that all the time. I mean, the sameness. And I, I was thinking about that. Sorry to interrupt you again, Alex. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about because at Lisbon Airport and Madrid Airport, it was exactly the same shops. Exactly. Yeah. There's no difference. And then I thought, because I, I did some work with some of the duty-free companies that, you know, are hired to build that it's a turnkey solution. They are coming and then say, we have the deals with, you know, Louis Vuitton and yeah. Mont Blanc, and we have deals with whoever restaurants and we build a thing. And it's, that's part of the problem, I, I believe. And it's really sad, really, really sad. It is sad. It is sad. And I, I, it's frustrating as well. And I think I mean, Hong Kong is okay in that they, they are proud of who they are. And so you have Heritage, yeah. Shanghai Tang and you've got a, a, a quite a few other Hong Kong centric shops but in terms of food, I, I hope they fix it. If you go down to the other end of the, by the Cathay Bridge Lounge, where the terminal splits into two yep. arms uh, yep. off the main pier there, there's another food court which has okay options. But anyway, that, that, that pissed me off. But to your point about my kids, there's this discovery store around gate 43 or 44 that – Upon further investigation, i.e. talking to the dude that was running it, it's a co-project <laughs> uh, between the airport authority and uh, some store in Hong Kong. It's basically this kids' play area, pay-as-you-play area. You pay 40 Hong Kong dollars, which is 4 US, and there's like Duplo trains and buckets of Lego, and and there's virtual reality headsets, there's 3D uh, modeling you know, the 3D printers and 3D filament making. And then the back, there's this simulator. So the kids <laughs> dress up in pilots' uniforms. Then they sit in this simulator. It's not a moving simulator, but it's got, you know, the yoke and the buttons and the switches and the knobs and all that stuff. And they play this video of a real motion simulator. What, what, a, what a training captain would see. Yeah of a 10-minute loop around Hong Kong, say, take off and fly. And the guy that ran the place was like, okay, and this is that, and this is what's going to happen, and okay, guys, let's make sure we're – are there any birds? We don't want a bird to hit a bird. And 
you know, that's Victoria Harbor, and it was named after Queen Victoria, and that's the ICC, blah, blah, blah. And it was really, really well done. So if you have kids and you're going through Hong Kong, especially late at night, it's open until 10 p.m., go and and try it. It was so much fun, so impressive. Awesome. That's, uh, that's awesome. But since you're in Hong Kong, tell us about the other flights. So you went to Ishigaki. Did you use a Hong Kong Express Airlines? We did HK Express. Yeah. Which, How was that? Is that the same you, you did last time as well, yes. right? Yeah. They're the only airline outside of Japan that fly to, to Ishigaki. Uh, so horrendously early flight. So we stayed at the airport hotel, the Regal Airport Hotel, which is connected to the airport the night before. And it was on T2. So you... I've go, never been to that one, actually. It's, 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 a, it's a bit of a ball ache at the moment because there's T2 has no gates. It's purely check-in. Ordinarily, they have a train, which you can you go through the um, immigration and security at T2, and then you go down and you jump on the train. But the train is, because of all this construction, it isn't going that far. So you check in at T2, and then you walk back to T1 to go through immigration and security, we'd already done in-town check-in because it's Hong Kong and you can, and it's awesome. So in Hong Kong Station and Central, we did it the day before. So I was a bit pissed off to find out that we had to, we'd walked all the way to T2, which isn't short when you've got, you know, in-laws and kids. Kids and yeah. And then I go back to T1 to go through immigration and security and then take a bus out to the mid what do they call it? Midfield Mid-field terminal, terminal, which is much, much better than it used to be. Much better amenities and all of that. So that was fine. And then a bus out to the to the plane and the quick one and a half hour flight to, to Ishigaki. And of course, Ishigaki is a beautiful and tiny little airport with a mm-hmm. with a functional domestic terminal because they have, you know, they take 787s from from Tokyo on ANA. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think Osaka as well. But many, 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 many other uh, of these wonderful Japanese airlines and subsidiary Peach. airlines like Ryushu, no, Ryuku Commuter Express. Yes. <laughs> and a, a Japan Transoceanic Air, which is my favorite. Japan has so many airports. It's just insane. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like so dotted good. by airports and thus creation of all these very these small micro, airlines. Yeah. And, and, and the international terminal is a shed, which yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, is adorable. And <laughs> uh, so much fun. We flew back on a 320neo. Uh, hold on. You sent me a picture of the leaflet, and I don't know in which one it was, where it says 320EDTO, which oh, uh, yeah. typically called engine with diminished torque option or something. Uh, was it on the way there or the way back? It was on the way there. It was so I've never surprising. Seen that. This was on the safety card. It yeah, had exactly, the safety yeah. card, and it was. It said A320, what, what was it? ED, EDTO. EDTO, and then the three... Aircraft registrations that yeah go with it yeah that go yeah. with it for HK Express, and it's basically this new type of ETOPS. That's what we learned because I googled it. It's some kind of like uh, extended uh, diversion thing. That's yeah, ED and I forgot the TO or something like yeah, that. Because yeah. HK Express fly as far away as Guam and Saipan, so okay. you you do want to have that <laughs> the ability to, <laughs> to to fly that distance because those are a long way away. HK Express are, are are fine. They're they're a very good airline. They are a low cost carrier. And they had a three twenty neo then. They oh. had a three twenty neo on the way back. Yeah, and nice. which is any difference or very similar? I was excited about it. None of the people yeah, of traveling me could give a <laughs> shit. But um, it's much quieter, as we've said. It's got a nice <laughs> yeah, engine yeah. sound to it. Yeah. The one thing I'll say about Hong Kong Express, 
the food that you pay for is really freaking good. Yeah, but that's it. Come on, that's near the Japan. You fly with uh Starflyer will fly with some of these low-cost options around the region, and you get food first. And even yeah. if you have to buy it, it's really amazing. Yeah, and, it's really good. I was I had this like apple and pear tart, which I was like, this is gonna <laughs> this is gonna be gross. This is gonna be like an apple pie from McDonald's. It was really really good. My wife had. Uh, had I'm gonna uh, defend the apple part from McDonald's. You know what, yeah. dude? I, I I'm a, I'm a fan as well. But I ah, there you go. Thank that, you. Thank that you. That level of quality, but it was really good and. My wife had dim sum, and she said it was perfectly acceptable. And oh, nice. yeah, I was nice. I was impressed. And the flights were both absolutely rammed. They were uh, yeah, low cost, yeah. But it was fine. And we, when you come back into Hong Kong into Terminal Two, we did get a gate, and then you you just jump on the the train to to the main terminal where you go through. Oh, because I mean, I think. If I could just, you know, all these apps that we take to, you know, book our flights or whatever, they should tell us, will we have a bus or not? Of course, they can sometimes. But, I mean, yesterday I was at Lisbon and suddenly the bus rides, you go through, like, seemingly in the middle of the city to go back to the airport. And there's, you don't even know how long it takes. And then, of course, we had to wait in the bus forever. By the way, it did a, I sent you the picture. Very interesting. Check. It was raining cats and dogs over Lisbon Airport. So the guy did, like, this very intricate type of parking to actually have the front door of the bus, like next to the stairs, but like so close to the oh, stairs, I appreciate you could barely open the door. Anyway, back to you. But yeah, uh, I, I don't like buses. No, no. I actually <laughs> to Hong Kong. I can't remember which which ground handling company they use, but we were all on the bus, and then they parked the next bus like right up against our bus, and they said. We're really sorry. Can you please get off this bus and go on to the next bus? And it was like it was like they parked it as close as they could, so we, we you could literally step from one bus into the next to bus. The other, yeah. And they're like, "We're very sorry. The air conditioning isn't working on this bus." It was half past seven in the morning. It was maybe a thirty-five second drive out to the bus. We were looking at each other. We really wouldn't mind, but thank you. That's that's very kind of you. Actually, that, that reminds me that I don't like buses that have a set of doors on each side because you never, you never know which never, actually yeah. will open. I try to look at on the tarmac and say, okay, what is the usual way they do it? Yeah. Or I ask the driver, but in some countries he looks at me just this is me uh, because I really want to be closer to the door that will open. That's the funny thing is that I'm a very similar mentality. So on on this bus journey we didn't get on the left we didn't get on the right we got out the front so it has these <laughs> doors it. at the front that open up and you walk off onto the onto the flight it was very interesting and the only other interesting thing and i i don't know if this is routing but i feel like it's political if you look on a map where ishigaki is it's about a hundred miles if not more Maybe Taiwan. Yeah, maybe 150, 200 kilometers directly to the east of Taiwan. When you fly there, you fly basically directly east out of Hong Kong. And then as soon as you hit the southernmost tip of Taiwan, you turn left and then you start heading northeast towards Ishigaki. We do that on the way there. We do that on the way back. Now, mm. if you drew a map, a line, you'd think that flying over the middle of Taiwan, like over like Taichung, it would be faster. I don't know if there's some political reason that Hong Kong is part of China and et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. But yeah, yeah. It was it it was very interesting to me. I, HK Express, we should explore a little bit more, and Hong Kong Airlines have an interesting birth story in that 
remind me to talk about it in the next episode. Well, we're almost at the end of the show. I'm, I'm going to lead it into, since you talk about uh, low cost, one quick mention, Cobalt, that uh, low cost airline from Cyprus is dead. A Norwegian, the CEO, went on the record to say that the low fares can't go on. Is he talking about the fact that they are about to get bankrupt or simply that maybe really it's going... We've, we've seen Monarch, we've seen uh, in the UK that just disappeared, man. Um, oh, um... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Never mind. Well, I mean, we've seen uh, there's a lot of low costs that seem to... Primera Air. Primera. Uh, that seem it. to be going uh, <laughs> out of uh, business. So maybe he has a point. But EasyJet, no matter what, EasyJet is actually reigniting their desire for Alitalia. So maybe uh, we'll see actually EasyJet Italy or something at some point. Anyway, to my last bit of news before we go to the airport, and the bit is how I went there. I used Eurowings, also another low cost. Mm. That was a pretty interesting thing. So Eurowings is part of Lufthansa. It used to be called German Wings. And it is the airline that you will fly from basically any airport in Germany if it's not Munich or Frankfurt. And by the way, that's very strange because, hey, Alex, I'm going to Berlin, so I'm going to fly Lufthansa because, you know, I'm a senator, card holder at Lufthansa. There's no flight from London to Berlin, which is the capital of Germany with Lufthansa. You have to go, you have to stop at Frankfurt or Munich, which makes absolutely no sense. That is completely uh, insane. I mean, it tells you because Berlin, because of its history, is a capital by name, but not by economic weight. So I get it what they do. It Plus, the airports are dire as well. But I mean, so that's why I said, you know, I'm going to try Eurowings. It's a pure low cost. They fly a lot of 320s, obviously. They all still have I think maybe German listeners can tell us otherwise. They also have the German wings livery. Inside, there's still some stuff branded German wings. The leaflets are branded Euro wings. The safety also branded Euro wings. But some of the walls are branded German wings. And though the German wings brand has kind of been winded down for more than almost two years, I think now. And the IATA code, I think it was German wings was for you or something, has also been winding down. But you still see a lot of German. Anyway, it's the same company. I think they wanted to uh, call it Euro wings to lessen the German impact mm. so that it will become mm. like a mess low-cost airline yeah, within Europe. You know, for low-cost, it's pretty good. I was, uh, because it was a client paying for, I was in the front. And that was really kind of very weird because I went on Lufthansa buying Eurowings and I said, okay, I want business class. They call it biz class. I'm like, fine. And then when I was checking in, I was checking in the economy and, you know, and I didn't care about checking in the economy. I said, but I pay business class. How, why are you screwing me there? Right. Mm. So anyway, I got the first uh, row. So I was happy. But then when I entered the flight, I understood it. That's very, very weird. The first three rows are called economy best, oh, which God. is not, it's fine. You're in the front. And then they say on the PA, those of you in the front who have a business class fare, get the food for free. So you could ah. be seated in the front with Economy Best, which is like a mid-tier, if you want, fare. But then you would have to pay like a like you do at BA. You have to pay your own food in the within the in-flight menu. I got the food for free. I could choose whatever I wanted. The sandwiches were very good, by the way. So it's just interesting that it's a bit messy. And there's no real integration with Lufthansa, as in... When I was in the lounge at Heathrow and in Berlin, I had to show my senator card because they were not sure, even though it said on top they are senator, they still wanted to double check. So it seems that it's not fully integrated, though I bought the ticket through Lufthansa. It's a bit... Anyway, but the experience is nothing to write home about, but it was good. The one thing that is pretty pretty cool is that the, the crew 
which seems understaffed. There's only three crew for an entire 320. I know it's a, it's a low cost, but still. The crew had like uh, leather gloves that were in a mauve color with a little hat in a mauve color as well. They made an effort. I liked it. Is it as fun as EasyJet? It's not, but it's, it's not a bad low cost experience. So I would actually uh, recommend it if you like to fly low cost. Anyway, to fly to Berlin, you pretty much have to fly low cost. There's not a lot of airlines yeah. to go there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty insane. So Berlin. So again, because Berlin has a very strange history because of the wall, because, you know, walled in for so many years and it did regain its capital by name, but not by economical weight. It means that the airports are old. Schoenfeld, we mentioned, guys, listen to the episode. This one is a complete disaster in terms of layout. There's like five terminals. Two are built as a kind of an hexagon, and two others are like kind of bolted in on the side. You have to go out to reach them. The signage is not clear at all. You can see that it's almost like a temporary airport. It's completely over capacity by a mile. I mean, it's just crazy because they don't have that new one, clearly. Yeah. The very interesting thing is because it's so small, they cannot accommodate anything airside. So everything happens landside. Even the lounges are landside. See that, so, I wouldn't be able to enjoy the lounge if it was if it was landside. So, yeah, so I entered the Lufthansa Senator Lounge, and I asked the lady in the front, I say, so how long do I have to walk? Because I'm in Terminal A at that point in one of these hexagons, and I'm supposed to go in one of these weird little things on the side. I say, how long? And she says, well, uh, we recommend to go half an hour early, but I'd recommend that you actually go 60 minutes early. And she tells me, because it's a catastrophe. If the official employee of Lufthansa tells you it's a catastrophe, you're like, okay, I'm going to leave that, like 90 minutes in advance. <laughs> There's no such thing as a fast track, which is fine, but it stresses you out. I'm like, it was my first time, so I had no context to know how is it usually? Exactly. I was trying to Google it. I'm like, and so I had a coffee. The lounge is pretty good. It has this kind of very 70s feel with 80s feel, but it actually works. I kind of like that lounge. I'm going to say that. But then, so I'm like, you know, I stay 20 minutes. So you know what? I just want to go there. I just want to make sure. And yeah, it's like, because it was never meant probably to be a terminal. So it's very, very badly laid out. You wait mm. forever. The very quirky and funny thing is that you see the... Um, you know what they, they put like to create lanes? On every single one of them, it says BER, which is Berlin Brandenburg already. So I think they have printed out all the material for the new airport. And since they can't use it, they're refurbishing it to the old airport. So you are in TXL and everything says BER, which oh is like God. even more ironic when you know the story of BER. You're like, okay, uh, this is really a disaster. And then I think that was in Terminal E. It's basically the size of your office that I see in the back, Alex. For those who don't have a context, it's maybe the size of a shoebox. Yeah. And you have a few seats. But obviously, when you're too early, then you have nothing to do. And post-passport control, which is only two gates, <laughs> there's not even a coffee place. There's nothing. So, uh, thank God I knew that. So I took a coffee because I had 40 minutes to basically wait for my boarding. Really, a badly made out airport. There are some shops... But you bump, literally, guys, you bump into people all the time because it's so crammed, but because the layout is so badly done and everybody has to kind of crisscross each other. You have suddenly, you know, you walk in what should be the departure hall before checking, and you already have some airlines have a checking there, but some airlines don't. And then there's a shop, and then there's another checking, and then there's like a machine to check in by yourself, and then there's a McDonald's, and then there's another checking, and then there's a Starbucks above it. It's really, really strange. 
But you know what? Overall, it worked on the way there. It was okay, even though I had to pass through passport control. Honestly, between that and the experience you mentioned last year at Schoenfeld, it's a toss. The advantage of Tegel over Schoenfeld, I think it's closer to the center. Yes. So at least you get that. The links to the center are great. I ended up just taking a cab. It was just easier because it's really, everything seems temporary. Again, I'm totally understanding it's, Berlin, it's temporary. The city has been rebuilt, the massive investments. So I'm not here to just point it out, say, oh, bad airport. But it looks like a shed that should have been gone for decades and it's still there. So I really hope for their sake that you're going to get like uh, an airport that it's worth its name, worth for the capital, because it's, I cannot recommend it. I mean, Berlin is such a cool city that of course go there, but uh, do not stay at the airport. Try to make as little time as you can, but because you never know how long it takes to actually go through security, you actually have to go early. Well, I know we've said this a million times, but it's so not German. <laughs> Yeah, no. But you know what? Berlin is not very German. I know maybe some German oh, people true. will challenge me, but it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, again, uh, it seemed that I only said negative stuff. It has some charm of the 70s. It has some quirks that I was smiling at. You have like old aircraft photos and you have some models. So for a Navy geek, you can see the planes very up close. There's not like much of big planes, but there are some cool quirks. I'm not going to diss it completely, but as a personal experience, as a passenger experience, forget it. It really needs to be uh, raised down and the new Berlin to be actually open as soon as they can. Yeah. But I'll go back to Berlin anyway. So <laughs> I know we have to close this show because Alex has to run to the airport in about 30 seconds. Where are you flying to? Tokyo. Oh, yes. And it's sad. I cannot join you on this one. I was supposed to. And then I had gigs and engagements that uh, I cannot go out of. So you'll stay, I think, 10 days in Japan or something like yes, that? Yes, we're, we're doing, we're only in Tokyo very briefly. And we'll be in uh, Shizuoka and in Sapporo, which I'm looking forward to because we take a domestic flight from Shizuoka to Sapporo and then back... Which airline? ANA. Uh, ANA and then Sapporo to Tokyo, which is one of the busiest routes yep. on earth and I've done operated it many by times. a 777, which <laughs> may be the C-3PO one. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. I used to do that with 747s, actually. That was really always cool to do that route with 747s. Uh, we'll probably dedicate our next episode maybe to Chitose, mm, new Chitose, mm. which is that airport in Sapporo. Uh, Shizuoka, I've been by also like more than a decade ago, so I, I don't remember a lot about it, but yeah, these are cool airports. And then uh, what's next after Japan? I have a really weird itinerary that's in the works uh, at the moment, which is I have to go to, I don't have to, I get to go Astana. to- Astana, but so I'm going London to Dubai on Emirates. Yeah. And, and incredibly, this is the easiest way to do it. London to Dubai on Emirates and then uh, Dubai, Almaty, Almaty, Astana on Air Astana. Awesome. But I'm, I'm hoping, I'm in economy in, in, on Emirates and I've I set oh, yeah, up the alert. Me, yeah. <laughs> they don't have the auto upgrade thing, which is making me nervous, but uh, we'll see. And then I'm going back. Astana, London, direct on Air Astana, but I might actually have to go to Abu Dhabi. So it's all in flux at the moment because <laughs> getting from Astana to Abu Dhabi is there's a direct flight on. Yeah, I've done it, but not on the day that I need to do it. <laughs> ah, my God. Okay, that's the one I've uh, done with uh, Etihad. Etihad, do yeah. it. Uh, so yeah, yeah we'll, Etihad, we'll yeah. see. But that's my next trip. Where are you headed? 
Uh, so, yeah, because I think I'm just going to reveal it. I'm going to Karachi in Pakistan uh, tomorrow. Good. I'm flying with Etihad, actually, through Abu Dhabi. I'm so much looking forward to go. My first time in Pakistan. So, obviously, my first time in Karachi. Not my first time with Etihad. Uh, I'll have a mix of, uh, I think, 380s. 320s, because uh, something like that. I don't exactly remember. I'll tell you guys. I think the 380 was the same studio that I did on the Dreamliner to Australia in August. Then, and sadly, I can't come to meet you. There was a plan to meet you in, in Japan. I'd set up some meetings and I pushed everything to December. I'll go that in a minute. So instead, I need to be first in London. Then I'll go have something in Doha. And after Doha, I'm going to Penang in wow. Malaysia. And then on the way back from Penang with Qatar Airways, I'm going to have the Q suite. And, you know, it's really stupid because it forces me to basically stay in Doha Airport for like 10 hours because I wanted to fly the 777. So I was saying, oh, I want a Q-suite, so I'm going to stay in the airport just for this, extending my layover forever just because I want to fly the Q-suite. Totally <laughs> understandable. <laughs> so I'll be able, guys, to tell you about that and also about Penang, obviously. And then uh, what else? Yeah, uh, Riga, probably Air Baltic. And then Helsinki, probably Finnair. Wow. Uh, I haven't booked those once. Uh, going to Serbia as well in Novi Sad, so not Belgrade. Probably Lufthansa, I haven't chosen yet. I have to book that today, actually. <laughs> and um, Tokyo in December. Yeah, that will be interesting, guys. I'm going to fly Asiana. I'm going to fly Ethiopian. Ethiopian oh, yeah. to go to Tokyo. And I'm going to fly back with, uh, what is it? JAL, Dreamliner in business class that's on miles i want to try that seat at the apex one it's amazing so yeah going for one week in japan in december sadly missing you there but at least we'll have the flag of layovers over uh, tokyo two months consecutively which yes. is pretty 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 cool god knows where we're gonna record next probably when you come back from japan hopefully if i'm still here and we able to do something Guys, we hope uh, that you can also fly in all parts of the world, no matter if it's low cost or high cost, but uh, with a lot of fun. Send us pictures, tell us all the feedback, hate us or love us. Yeah, uh, we'd in, love to hear it. In the meantime, happy travels. Safe travels, guys. Man, I had no idea you were doing so much. <laughs>